It is good to be back, and it's a new year, in case you haven't realised yet. Uh, I guess it's a bit like putting the cold water on the stove. It sometimes takes a little while to boil up and get ready for a new year, you know, to get into the the momentum again, to get uh, that sort of uh, passion in your heart back again to, you know, to really make this year count for something special. And about November last year, I started asking the Lord, Lord, what's our... What's our theme for 2014? What's, what's our theme going to be as a church? And the Lord said, shift. Okay, Lord, can I have a little bit more? What's shift mean? No, just shift, Mark. That's all you need to know. It's just going to be shift. I'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. And so in my mind, I was thinking things like this. You could shift direction, couldn't you? As a church, we could suddenly decide we're going to meet in the park instead of in a building, or we could, you know, shift times that we meet or days that we meet. You know, we could, we could go in a new direction. We could all start wearing suits and ties or we could come in shorts and singlets or, you know, there's lots of shifting that you could do. Maybe it could be a shift in focus. Maybe we, we, we you know, very intentionally have a shift in, in some area of church life. Maybe it's a shift in our personal lives, you know, re- readjusting our priorities, shifting things around so that, you know, we do more family time or less work or more, more Bible study or something. We could, we could adjust those things. Or maybe it's a shift in the pace of life. Maybe God's going to say, I need you to slow down. <laughs> or maybe God's going to give you a foot, you know, kick in the backside and say, you need to pick up the speed. <laughs> you know, you're being lazy. It could be any one of those things. But that's not what God put on my heart. <laughs> So it's no good having your own imagination. God doesn't always take you there. The first shift that I want to do this year as a church is I want to encourage you to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker, or that interpretation is a teacher, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So the first shift that I would like you to make this year is to become a much better student of God's Word. Could you hand one of those out to everybody, mate? And what I want to encourage you to do is to take notes during a sermon. Now, that might be something new for you. There's some pens in my briefcase, which is just next to you, Shannon. It's in a green bag, mate. Why am I asking you to do this? I'm encouraging you. I'm not forcing you. reason being is that if we've got to do our best to present ourselves to God, then we need to do the best that we can to make that learning deeper and make that learning more profound. I believe if you take notes, you actually take more in. You know, I know it sounds like I'm making you go back to school, but this is the school of life. This is the most valuable stuff we can be learning about. And What it also does in your life is that you will find that as I'm speaking and you're writing, God is speaking to you. Stuff is happening. My best sermons come when I'm listening to someone else's sermon because some things begin to download and God speaks to me. I I don't mind that. I think that's great because there'll be things in your life that God wants to reveal and God wants to highlight. I just think it's a great exercise if we we as a people could get into the habit of doing that and teaching our kids even to do that. And every week we're going to have a memory verse in church that I'm going to encourage you to remember during the week and uh, we'll see if we can pick that up. Why? Because Scripture says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. 
And if we can be a people that just get a little bit better at knowing God's word, at, at listening, then it, we're going to be so much the better for it. So I really encourage you to do that. That's the first shift that we're going to make this year. So over the next six, eight, ten weeks, I don't know how long it's going to be, we're going to be doing a series called The Other Side of Normal. I want you to think about that, The Other Side of Normal. And what I want to share with you is really a revelation of going back to some of or one of the most fundamental things that I think we need to know as believers. And, and what that knowledge will do is set us up to live our lives on the other side of normal, on God's side of how we're supposed to live, which is the supernatural, which is a life of great abundance, which is a life of great purpose, which is a life where you and I live in such a way that we just don't survive, we just don't exist, we rule and we have dominion over our lives and over all God has given to us. We live as victors rather than victims. And I want to share with you this theme over the next couple of weeks, the other side of normal. And what we will see through Scripture is God's normal is very different to this world's normal. Very different. Different mindset, different attitude, different way of living, different approach to everything. Now, you know pigs don't fly, don't you? That's not normal for pigs to fly. Is it normal to be able to feed 5,000 people with two loaves and a couple of fish? Is it normal for you to go down to the river and, and God say, catch a fish and open its mouth and in there will be a gold coin? Is that normal? Is it normal to say to an axe head, float? Is it normal to be able to walk on water? Is it normal to be able to say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk? But that's God's normal. And we need to get into God's normal. So the first shift that we're going to look at is a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is a word that they use in physics to explain a whole new realm or a whole new system of operation. And a paradigm shift is a radical change of mindset transforming one's underlying beliefs or theory, a set of assumptions, concepts, values and practices that constitutes a new way of viewing reality. Because God doesn't want us to see this world through the eyes of the world. He wants us to see this world through the eyes of heaven. And when we can see it through a heavenly, godly paradigm rather than an earthly, natural paradigm, we will be able to see this life the way God wants us to. Now, when Jesus came, the first thing he says was, repent for the kingdom of God is here. The word repent is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change one's mind. So Jesus is saying, change your mind. Ed, you need to change the way you think. Why, God? Because the kingdom of God is here. So when Jesus came, he didn't say you're a sinner, you need to get saved. He said you need to change the way you think. Because if you can change the way you think, you can think about the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven is going to bring you and what the kingdom of heaven avails you of. And if you can possess that understanding, then you can live on the other side of normal. 
God's normal. But if you don't possess that thinking, you'll get stuck. Have you ever worried about money? Anybody ever here worried about money? Is there anybody here who's never worried about money? That's probably a better way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, Loz doesn't. You just live off Dad. It'll change, Dale. Don't worry. It'll change. Let me explain something to you. Who is Jesus? King of all kings. What does King Jesus own? Everything. How can there be a recession in your life if Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and we live in his kingdom? That's the other side of normal. We would sit on this side and go, I'm so worried about how I'm going to make ends meet. But that's not a kingdom mindset. So we need a paradigm shift that says, I've got to think kingdom. Because if I think kingdom, I'm thinking like God. And if I think like God, I will have a life of abundance. If I don't think like God, then I'm setting myself up to fail or to have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world and try, you'll fail. So we need a paradigm shift. And that's what Jesus came and said. We need a paradigm shift. We need to change our thinking. The word kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God appears 61 times in the New Testament. The kingdom of heaven appears 32 times. Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers use kingdom of God. Now Jesus spoke about the kingdom as the very first thing that he said. Everywhere he went. He said, repent, change your mind. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. That was his message. That was his fundamental theme. He didn't preach about healing. He didn't preach about faith. He didn't preach about anything else but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Why? Because if we can understand the kingdom of God, we get it. We get the whole lot. If we understand the kingdom of God, we will understand healing. If we understand the kingdom of God, we will understand faith. If we understand the kingdom of God, we will understand provision. We'll understand everything. The kingdom of God is the very central thing that we need to know about as believers. The kingdom was the theme Jesus talked about the most in parables. The kingdom of God is like a man who went to a field and found a great treasure and he sold everything else just to have that. And time and time again, in so many ways, he tried to explain to people in language that they would understand that this kingdom is available to them. They can possess it. They can enter it. It's theirs. God's designed it for them. But you need to get into it and then you need to live it. My perception would be most of us are in it, but we don't live it. Or we live it in bits and pieces rather than a paradigm shift that says I'm living and sold out for the kingdom of God. The kingdom was the last thing Jesus spoke about. Acts 1.3. After his resurrection, before his ascension, for 40 days, he appeared to them, teaching them about faith. No. Healing. No. How to do church. No. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's so important that we get it. First things Jesus said in Matthew. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, it's here now, 
and the kingdom of God is here. So repent, change the way that you think and believe the good news that the kingdom is here for you to take and live and possess and own and be in abundance and live the way God wants you to. Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So what we get right between the eyes, if we look at scripture in plain black and white, is that the kingdom of God was Jesus' central message. It's what he taught about predominantly because he knew if the hearer could grasp the concept of the kingdom of God and the scope of what the kingdom of God was offering to you as a citizen and to me as a citizen, the privileges that are ours, the benefits that are ours, and appropriate those, live them, then we would set ourselves up for a radical life, like a life that's on the other side of normal, a life that's truly lived. There's a great line in uh, Braveheart where uh, William Wallace says, you know, all men must die, but few men really live. I think we were born to live. And what I want to explain to you is that, that if you think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a government, right? It's not a religion. It's a government. And on the government will, will be on his shoulders, and of the government there will be no end. Jesus is a king. He's a ruler, and he brought his kingdom to earth to take over the kingdom that existed, the kingdom of darkness, and to bring a whole new paradigm, a whole new realm of how to live life. In fact, it was the way we were supposed to live at the beginning, but Adam and Eve lost it. So Jesus came in the form of a man, the second Adam, to redeem what we lost so that we could what? Let us make man in our image so that they will what? Rule the earth, have dominion. We've lost that. We're supposed to be rulers on earth. We're supposed to govern over the things that God has given us. But we've lost control to our own desires and our own lusts and those sort of things when we're supposed to live in a kingdom way, and a kingdom way gives us boundaries and control and power and opportunity that is just incredible. So if we can teach our children about the kingdom of God, if we can get them to unlock the door and realize what's inside, you will set your kids up for the greatest life ever. You will. Because the kingdom of God is a government rule. And I don't know about you, but everywhere around this world, it's all about government, governments that rule badly or rule well. And if you look back through history, it has been one after the other, man's attempt to find a government system that rules them in such a way that there's a good life. But none of them work because there's only one rule that will really work, and that's the kingdom of God where Jesus is king and we are under his authority and we live the way that he wants us to. And when we do that, it's incredibly powerful and there's incredible blessing because the King Jesus has a will and a purpose, right? And he's revealed that this is his will and testament, Old Testament, New Testament. He has a desire in his head that he penned in paper and we've got it. This is it. This is God's desire for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you. Good news, hey? He's given us direction and instruction, the words of the king. The word says you are what? A, a slave in the kingdom of God? You're a son in the kingdom of God. Sons have rights. 
Sons have privileges. And so if the king declares it, what comes out of his mouth is word. It's law. And if he says it, then nothing can change it. So we need to understand that this is the word of the king. The currency in the kingdom of God is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because God's kingdom operates on the currency of faith. You exercise faith. That's how we do business with God in his kingdom. There's a language in the kingdom. It's called prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, here, as it is in heaven. That's, that, that's our yardstick because the kingdom of God has come. So whatever has happened in heaven, happening in heaven, can happen on earth. That's the gateway. And so if we look at this kingdom of God, it covers every area of life. There's a solution for everything. You know, a lot of the church at the moment is getting hung up about homosexuality. Okay? Oh, Jeremy, what do you think about that? And Val, what do you think about homosexuality? You know what? In the kingdom of God, what we think doesn't matter. My opinion's not important. It's what the king says. What does the king say? Read the laws. We don't have to get uptight about it all. We can just say it's not my responsibility. He's the king. These are his laws, precepts, rules, boundaries. They're not boundaries to squash us. They're boundaries to give us an abundant life. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. God's pretty good, you know. He's got it worked out. If we understand his government, his government impinges and impacts on every area of our life. How do we do children? Read the book. How do we do marriage? Read the book. How do we do sex? Read the book. How do we do finances? Read the book. How do we do it all? You don't have to come and ask my opinion because my opinion doesn't, isn't worth anything. It's God's opinion that really matters. That's the beauty of this book. It releases us from the burden of having to have the answers. It releases us from having to have to worry. What did Jesus say about worrying? Don't do it. Why? Because he's a king with everything and he loves you and he wants to look after you. So if we worry, what we're really telling you is, Jesus, you're not capable. You don't have the resources. You don't have enough interest in me. No, that's not a kingdom mindset. Kingdom mindset is you're a son or a daughter in the kingdom of God and God's laid it all out for you. Take it. Live it. Believe it. Have that mindset shift, that paradigm shift of your thinking so that you think like a kingdom. The nature of the kingdom, love, grace, and mercy. Daily provision, there's kingdom welfare. Jesus said, look at the sparrows. Look at, I'll look after you. Stop worrying. There's a policy here, a government policy about welfare. There's a government policy about healing. There's a government policy about everything. There's an army to protect you, and he will command his angels concerning you. Do you see God's got it all? Because there's a kingdom, and in a kingdom, when there's proper government, every aspect of the lives of the citizens is cared for. We've got to get a revelation of that in our lives, that the kingdom has come and everything that we need is there. So we're going to look at subjects like this over the next couple of months. God's dominion, our dominion, God's sovereignty, what that means in our lives. You're a citizen of the kingdom. You have rights. You have rights in Australia. You get to vote. You get, to, you get a say. You've got rights in the kingdom of God. Use them. We should use them. We have power because we are in the kingdom of God. Power that is vested to us 
bestowed upon us because we are ambassadors of the king. We are representatives of the king. If they give me the job of being the ambassador to the United States and I live in New York, it's not my opinion that matters. I speak on behalf of the government for whom I represent. So we as citizens of the kingdom of God, we speak on behalf of the God that we represent. And he's given us power to talk and to minister and to pray and use all that the kingdom of God is given to us to represent the kingdom of God. So it's an incredible thing to get the kingdom of God in your head. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. What do keys do? They open things. You know, most of us get in the front door of salvation into the palace and we sit in the hallway instead of possessing what God has got for us in terms of everything in the kingdom of God. Here's why I know it's so important. Because Jesus said it was. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that we worry about and get uptight about and spend our lives on will be added unto you. That's why I know it's so important. Because Jesus said it was. He said it was to be the foremost and major priority of our life, the kingdom of God. So if I ask anybody in this room about the kingdom of God, you should be able to give me a lecture. You should be able to off the top of your head go, the kingdom of God is this, and it works like this, and if you're in the kingdom, this is what you get, and if you're outside the kingdom, this is what you don't get, and this is the consequences for being outside the kingdom, and this is the revelation of being in the kingdom. And if that doesn't get you excited, you're religious. You're not in a kingdom. Do you understand the difference? Because a religion is not about what's going to happen in 5, 10, 15 years' time. A kingdom is about now. The kingdom of God is here. And that's what Jesus said. Wake up, everyone. The kingdom's here. It's good news. You don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore because I'm the king. And the way my kingdom operates is incredibly different to everything else. So shift the way you think. Do whatever you need to do to belt your brain so that it gets it, so you can live that way because that's incredibly exciting. And you know the beauty of it? You don't have to have a theological degree. You can just be a farmer who gets the simple principle that there's a kingdom and God's given it to you. You can be like a child who gets that revelation, I'm a son in the kingdom of God. I'm a somebody. What do we do? We're like the prodigal son. We sit in the ping peg pig pen, eating the little corn cobs, going, oh, I'd love to be back in my father's house. You are in your father's house. (laughs) He's bestowed you with incredible blessing. We've got to rise up and change that thinking so that it's kingdom thinking. So that's your memory verse this week. Hopefully most of you already know it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added Unto you. Seek, pursue, study, explore, understand, learn, and consider. Seekers must have a desire to know and possess a passion for the object of their search. So we should preoccupy ourselves with that which we are seeking, which is the kingdom of God. Seek it first. So go after it. Go after it first and foremost. Make the kingdom first. The kingdom must be our top priority, the principal thing we place above all other things. Seekers must place the highest value on the kingdom of God, setting it above everything as their primary focus. 
It has to have no competition. Everything we are about will have a kingdom focus. It's a great question to ask yourself. Is what I'm doing in my life kingdom focused? Is it about the kingdom? Is it representing the kingdom? Is it advancing the kingdom? Because if it's not, stop doing it. Because it's out of order. It's not right. Because God wants you to seek first the kingdom of God. And you can be a primary school teacher and be seeking first the kingdom of God through what God's called you to do. It doesn't matter what you do as long as what you're doing is seeking first the kingdom of God. That's the principle. So it's not that we all have to resign our jobs tomorrow and go off to Bible college. No, that's the wrong thinking. The wrong thinking is wherever God has called you to be, be the kingdom of God. Represent it. Advance it. Promote it. Talk about it. Think about it. Sing about it. Write prayers about it. Because the kingdom of God is our be-all and end-all. The kingdom. God's will. Executed. God's jurisdiction. Heaven's influence. God's impact in the here and now. It's available to us. That's the kingdom. That changes everything, doesn't it? If you can go to a barbecue and you don't have anything and suddenly you can feed 5,000 people, that's a pretty extraordinary incident, but it's normal in the kingdom of God. That's the difference. It's a different paradigm. The rules are different. You have to think differently. You have to operate differently. You have to behave differently, think differently, speak differently because you're not in this kingdom. You're in that kingdom and the rules and the laws and the values and the morals and everything about God's kingdom is different. That's why Jesus said, repent, change your mind, turn your thinking around to think God's way. Think about the kingdom of heaven. And his righteousness. So righteousness and the kingdom of God are inseparable. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So there's no separation there. The kingdom of God's most, most flagrant characteristic is righteousness, right, being in right standing with God. So if we seek after God and seek to live our lives in such a way that we live in right standing with God, there is a guarantee that all these things that consume our life will get taken care of. Now, I don't know about you, but that's incredibly freeing. It means I don't have to worry about what salary I get. I don't have to worry about what car I drive. I don't have to worry about anything because my king, who owns everything, has promised me that if I pursue his kingdom and his righteousness, then what I get on the other side of that obedience is blessing. If I want to worry myself sick about it, I can, but it's not going to change anything and it's not going to avail me of the resources of the kingdom of heaven. So our lives need to be spent in the pursuit of living right in the sight of God. It's that simple. Do what's right and God will bless you. The beauty of God's will and testament, when you go and get... um, you know, someone dies and you get part of their will, their, their will and testament is read out, right? Their, their, their desire for their, their estate gets read out and you sit there and, you know, you get Auntie Flo's, you know, false teeth or whatever, whatever she gives you. Now I've lost where I was going. <laughs> I've totally lost it. Never mind. Auntie Flo's false teeth do it to you every time. But the point is God's will determines what we should get and the way that we should live. 
and it's so simple, and yet we've made it so complicated. So all the things that, that we consume our life with, physical, social, emotional, psychological, financial, and security needs, God is saying, I'm going to meet them. It's, it's in the bag. It's a done deal. I can do it. I'm the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and I own everything. Now, if you and I were to get on a plane and go to Saudi Arabia and meet the richest man in the world and stay in one of his magnificent palaces, and he leant over to you and said, Troy, lunch is on me today, mate. Looking at his palace and all his riches and his Lamborghinis, you'd go, I reckon he could do that. I, reckon, I don't need to worry about that. He can manage lunch. How much more God... Seriously, how much more God can take care of us? And how much more do we need to change our thinking to trust him, to trust who he is and what he's promised us? Because this is his word. You know, the beauty of when a king says something, it's, it's, it's law. It has to be implemented. And if God's promised you that, then it's a law that he cannot break. He will not break. That's the beauty of our God, that he's a king who's benevolent and compassionate and wants the very best for us. Imagine if he wasn't. But he is, and therefore we can trust so much in his word. It's so free. So free. Have you ever worried about tithing? Lots of people worry about tithing. You know, in the kingdom of God, you don't own anything. It's not your money. It's the king's. He owns everything. So if he says, I want you to give 10% or give that car to that person, there's a disconnect because it's not yours anyway. You're just a steward. It's just passing by. And it means I don't have to get worried about giving God, if God wants 10% of what's already his, he can have it. Because how much more could he give you on the other side if he wanted to? Do you see the difference in the thinking? It's a kingdom mindset. It's totally different. It's radical. So we need to rediscover the kingdom. It's not, it's not new. It's 2,020 years old, whatever. It's not new. We've just lost its potency. It's like an old man who's not virile anymore. We've lost our potency as, as a force of people. And I want to explain to you why. We, we have a blind spot in our theology. Okay, We drove to Queensland just recently and... I noticed on our car that there's a blind spot in our mirror because we were travelling along and I thought, oh, there was a car there. No, well, I changed. Oh, luckily I looked and there was a car there. There was a blind spot. So I got one of those little concave mirrors and stuck it on our thing so you could see the blind spot. I think there's a blind spot in our theology in church because I think we have a gospel of salvation, not a gospel of the kingdom. Now let me explain why. The gospel of salvation is very much about evangelism, about getting people saved, which is not wrong. Don't hear me wrong. It's not wrong. It's just not the completeness of what God wanted us to have. So it has very much an eternal heavenly focus. You know, um, Pali, you need to get saved because you're going to go to hell. You need to get in the club so that you don't go to hell. And And it has this get in the club and then look forward to when you get to heaven. That's loosely what it looks like. And it has this rapture escape mentality. We're going to get out of here pretty soon. Pretty soon God's going to come and, you know, we won't have to put up with this sinful world anymore. We can, we can get out, okay? And, and the, the whole mentality of doing church and living life is about getting the next convert. 
And that's not, that's not necessarily wrong. It's just not the whole picture. Because if you think about the gospel of the, communi- of the kingdom, it's not about you know, just getting saved or just getting to heaven. It's about heaven on earth now. It's about taking the dominion that God prescribed for us to have in the here and now and living this life like we weren't supposed to go to heaven. We were made to rule on earth. And everyone goes, I just want to get out of here. I want to go to heaven. Such a beautiful place. There's streets of gold. Um, That's wrong theology because our theology is to be God's representative here on earth now. And then we have a little time frame where we go to heaven. But I've got news for you. We're coming back. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth because we're designed to be a spiritual being in a physical body on a physical earth as God's representative and to rule. We've lost our right to rule because we gave it up. We've been given it back because Jesus said, I'm giving you the kingdom. We've got to live it. So taking dominion is very different to just getting people saved. It means there's much more of a, of a, of a here and now presence of God across the earth and the difference that we can make because we represent the kingdom. It's like saying we're going to possess the land mentality as opposed to we're going to get out of here because the rapture's coming, the trumpet's going to sound. There's a difference because your focus is on how you can make a difference now, how the kingdom of God can flow through you to others who don't know about the kingdom of God. So it impacts all aspects of society. That's the beauty of it. It's God's government flowing through into every area of life. And we influence the world not by winning just the next soul, but by serving, servant leadership, active faith. We can have a great, greater impact in the world than we have already. This is what the Lord said. Oh, got to go back one. Not working. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Do you want to know when the end of the world will be? I can tell you. When we preach the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. If you preach a gospel of salvation, you are selling people short of being able to live a godly lifestyle now because there's almost like an on hold button just to get to heaven. That's not wrong. It's just one-fifth of it. It's the blind spot. We've missed the blind spot. I mean, Satan's pretty smart. Gospel of the kingdom, the most powerful thing to understand, that God's government's come, God's bestowed much of that government on you, and you have the power and the resources and the privileges, and yet we sort of don't live that. It's just a blind spot. But, boy, it's pretty dangerous not to have that as our leading passion. And if we teach people in all the world about the gospel of the kingdom, it changes people's circumstances. If you're a poor person in Africa who has nothing and your life is very miserable, it's much more good news when someone comes and says there's a different paradigm that you can enter into where there's a king that will look after you and he's promised you. See the difference? We don't struggle with that so much because we've got everything. But we're talking about every tribe, every nation, every tongue. I hate to tell you, but we're in the 1% of the most richest people in the world. So it's a very different picture out there. The gospel of the kingdom is very different to just get saved. The outworking of faith is much different. You will have, if someone understands the kingdom, you've got a dynamo. 
You've got someone who's going to extend the kingdom of God. And that doesn't matter whether you're a young girl like Beth, because if she gets a revelation of who she is in God, nothing can stop her. And she doesn't have to have an education. It doesn't matter what she looks like. It doesn't matter what background she's had. Because if she gets the kingdom, she gets the keys. And if she gets the keys, she can turn on the ignition. She can open all the doors. She can avail herself. That's the beauty of the kingdom. A little pygmy in the highlands of New Guinea can have just as much revelation as the guy who's gone to Harvard University and spent a million years studying the word of God. It's got to be able to transcend to every being on the planet because that's what God designed us to have. So we can understand it really simply or we can understand it really deeply, but we've got to understand the kingdom of God. The other problem we have is that we're conditioned by democracy. We live in a democracy that has, has fashioned the way that you and I think about authority. Okay, so because we live in a democracy, we get to vote, right? We, we have a say. You know, the Constitution of the United States of America starts with the words, we the people. In the kingdom of God, we the people don't count. Your voice doesn't matter. You don't have an opinion because the king's opinion is perfect. He doesn't need ours. He knows the best about everything. He's designed it perfectly. So why does he need to consult with us? He doesn't. That's the, that's the rest and reassurance that we have of the king that we serve. And so we can rest in that. We, we have, and I have it as much as you have it, we've been conditioned to think we are more important than we are, and we've been conditioned not to think about obedience and sacrifice the way that a kingdom model works. If you're in a kingdom where a king is in control and he says, Michaela, I want you to go here and do X, Y, and Z, you don't go, well, I don't feel like that today. Or maybe I could do that next week. If the king says it, you would jump to attention and you would go. Why? Because you'd lose your head, like in a normal kingdom. But we don't, we don't live in government like that. So it's hard for us to translate what a real kingdom is like. Why did Jesus come during the time of the Romans? The scripture says, in the fullness of time, God knew to send Jesus to the Hebrew people when they were under a government that was very much like the government of God. It took over everything and he dominated everything. And the people that represented that government, like Herod and Pilate, ruled like Caesar did. That was the principle. And Jesus was able to teach people about the kingdom of God because they were in, a, in, in an earthly kingdom that was very much representative of God's kingdom in the way that God takes over. So when Jesus talked about a kingdom in those times, people went, oh, I get it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. We know we've got to give Caesar's what is Caesar's. Well, give to God what is God's. Same principle. In our culture, we go, give to God what is God's. Well, I'll decide what I give to God. And if I've got some left over, I'll give God. And if I feel like it on that week or whatever. No, see, we've, we've misunderstood the economy of God, and we've got to get back to it. So whatever government we've ever seen or been part of, a monarchy, a republic, feudalism, dictatorship, communism, socialism, democracy, they don't work. The only government that works over our lives is a theocracy where Jesus is king. We don't need any other authority but him in our lives. And if we do it his way, we'll all be happy. The reality is most people are not going to pay that price because there's a price to pay. So Jesus is the example, the prototype of what God desires for all his children. He wants us to be like him. And Jesus ruled his world. He wasn't 
swayed by passions. He wasn't swayed by greed. He didn't get lazy. He didn't get off focus. He lived the kingdom. He demonstrated the kingdom. He taught the kingdom. He is the kingdom because he is the king. But his desire and design for us from the very beginning has that we would be kings on earth. Little K. Kings and priests. Not slaves and paupers. Kings and priests. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Under God. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now that's good news. <laughs> that's the best news there is. So what are we got to do? It's a matter of learning to should be rethink, retalk, and react like the royalty that we are rather than the galley slaves the devil has told us we are. You see the difference? It's about thinking. It's about a paradigm shift in your thinking. You might not feel like royalty. You might look in the mirror and go, it's all saggy and baggy. I don't feel very fine and noble. The point is the king of kings, the Lord of all lords, has said that you are this. Therefore, you are this. It's non-negotiable. It's in law written in stone. Cannot be changed. That's the privilege and honour we have of those who have responded by faith to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are, I want you to look at me straight in the eye, we are the custodians of the kingdom of God. There is a world of people out there who live in ignorance of that truth. They don't just need to get saved. They need to come into the kingdom of God and take hold of what the kingdom of God gives them because then they will be a force to be reckoned with to keep sending and proclaiming and promulgating that message. If they get the kingdom, they get the lot. If they get salvation, they get into a club and religion. Think about this story very quickly and I'll finish. Jesus says, Peter, James and John, come with me. I want you to come up to the mountain with me. They go up to the mountain. Jesus transforms into all his glory. Who appears there? The greatest man of the law there ever was, Moses, and the greatest prophet there ever was, Elijah. Peter, James and John see Jesus in all his glory and Peter goes, this is so good. This is wonderful, Lord. Let me set up three tents. We'll just stay here. We'll pack down. We'll have a good time together. That's religion. Box it all up. Keep it to yourself. Protect it. Guard it. Freeze it in time. Jesus showed them that the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, had finished and that Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God. He was just showing those three men that the baton was changing hand. The law and the prophets had been fulfilled and now the kingdom of God, the grace of God was about to flow and Peter wanted to hold it all there. Let's just not share it with anybody. This is so good, Lord. Isn't that what we do in religion? We've got to shift that around and we've got to move out. So our greatest enemy today is not Satan and it's not sin because Jesus defeated them both at the cross. Power is not the problem either because we have the power. 
Our greatest enemy today is ignorance. We, what we don't know is killing us like the blind spot or at least depriving us of a full and abundant life. The problem is we don't know who we are. We've become a kingdom of ignorant sons, rather ignorant of our identity, ignorant of our ability, ignorant of our power, and ignorant of our authority. Correct? Let me, let me explain something really quickly. God created Adam and Eve, right? Did Adam and Eve ever get sick? Before they sinned. So it was like heaven on earth, right? It was a beautiful place, beautiful existence. Okay. Then we have this era of time where sin entered the world. And then Jesus came and he paid for the sin of the world. And he taught us, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in, in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So he taught us the principle of of. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come now. Your will be done now, just as it is in heaven. So there was no sickness back with Adam and Eve, right? And is there sickness in heaven? We know that is true. So if God said in the now, the kingdom has come, then what should our attitude be towards healing in a kingdom economy? Do you understand the struggle we've got in, in reconciling our minds to think not like the world, not to think in the natural, not to think like a, a fallen, sinful person? We've got to think like kingdom. That's the challenge for us to, to adjust our thinking. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to get healed because there's things like unforgiveness in people's lives. But, but our base belief has to be that God can, it is possible God will in many circumstances, and if he gives us the keys to the kingdom, then we can find out what it is that's causing that sickness. And, and, and if we live our lives sold out for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things we will get more revelation of and we will get better at expounding and demonstrating the kingdom of God. So we need to lift our eye, the eyes of our spirit to behold the riches of our Father's estate that are ours, if we would only reach out and claim them. We need to rediscover the King and the kingdom and realign ourselves with living His kingdom here on earth. You cannot blend the culture of the kingdom of this world and God's kingdom and live for yourself and mix them all up together in some formula. It doesn't work. He's the King. We're His sons. We're not His subjects. We're His sons. And we need to live that way. But there are consequences for living outside what God wants. And there are blessings for living the way God wants. So we need a paradigm shift. It is counterintuitive to this world. It's countercultural to this world. It's a radical change. It's the other side of normal. This world's normal. We've got to get out of that boundary and get over the other side to where God wants us to be. Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change, paradigm shift, change your thinking, and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So this is not something reserved for people who train at Bible college. There is no excuse. Please don't sit here today and say, I cannot get this, because you can. It's designed so that we all can. And I hope when I'm talking this morning, something in you is going, he's on to something here. I hope something in your heart is starting to thump 
and you're just going, I just wish I could get more of that because I know he's right, I just don't know how to get there. It's because we've got to change our thinking. This is where the damage has been done. It's in our thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we've got to help one another rethink the way we see life. Okay? So there's two things I want to hear very often in the life of this church over the next couple of months or years or whatever. I want to hear you say, that's not kingdom, Darren. Stop thinking like that. You're a somebody. So I want to hear you say, whenever you hear anybody in this church complain, whinge, be a victim, say they don't have any money, whatever, say, that's not kingdom. (laughs) And you have permission to tell me that too. I'm serious because that's the only way we're going to help one another retrain the way that we think, the way that we've thought in the past, rechange the patterns. And then I want to hear you say, now, Darren, now that's king. <laughs> you got it, mate. That's what we should hear more of because we need to help encourage one another when we are thinking like the kingdom of God. That's the beauty of it. It's not just a matter of beating each other up saying, you know, I haven't got there yet, but we've got to help one another go, no, that's not kingdom thinking. When someone can, some, come and says, I'm so worried about how I'm going to make my bills meet, take them back to the law, God's kingdom's declaration, and say, that's not kingdom thinking. You're damaging yourself. Trust in God. He will look after you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that your kingdom has come. And, Lord, that your will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we celebrate that that day is going to come when the trumpet is going to sound and, and we're going to be called to be with you in glory. But until that time, our mandate, our assignment, our commission is to do exactly what you did, is to take the message, the good news of the kingdom of God and all that that means to a world that is kept locked in ignorance and darkness. They do not know that there's a king. They do not know that there's a kingdom. And, Father, help us to teach the people of this nation who are bound in a democratic mindset, in an affluent mindset, that they need a king and they need a kingdom that they're not a part of. Lord, burn that in our hearts that we would understand this in such a way that no matter who we are, what education we've had, that we could proclaim this with power and authority. And that, Father, you would teach us so much about your kingdom that this church would be at the forefront of rediscovering the kingdom of God for this nation. Because, Lord, we need to come back to the simple understanding that you are king And we need to be sold out for you and your kingdom. So, Lord, my prayer over the next weeks, months, year, would you just impregnate us as a people with this passion for the kingdom of God? Lord, bring us knowledge. Bring us understanding. Help us to be a greater influence, a greater impact. Help us just to, Lord, when you talked about your kingdom, you said, to whom much is given... Much is expected. That's a kingdom principle. And Lord, when I look around at the people in this church, I see that much has been given. 
not just in terms of money, but, but giftedness and talents and, and potential. And Lord, we need to realize that because you're, you're going to hold us accountable for our stewardship of the things that you've given to us. I praise you, God, that, the, that you're a God of grace and mercy. But Lord, don't, don't let it slip by. Jesus, don't pass us by as a church. Teach us about your kingdom. Bring us new revelation. Reinforce what we don't know. Help us where we're ignorant. Train us to really be on the cutting edge of your kingdom purposes, your kingdom power, your kingdom authority, because you said your kingdom is not just about words, it's about power. And, Lord, we want to be a people of power, not just a kingdom that's about a theory. We want it to be about a practical demonstration of the kingdom of God and the powerful proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God married together in the most incredible movement. That's the kingdom of God and that's what we want and that's what you've given us. So Lord, teach us to possess it, teach us to walk in it, teach us to grow in it, teach us to just be so consumed by it because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us worship God in reverence and awe. So let us get that overwhelming wonder. Let us never lose that wonder of the king who died for us, of the king who brought his kingdom, of the king who poured out his spirit into our life so that we could be the kingdom, live the kingdom, speak the kingdom, pray the kingdom. We are the kingdom of God. Jesus said it is within you. So everywhere I go, I take the kingdom of God with me. There's no excuses. God's given it all to us. Lord, help us take it up with new vigor and new passion and let us take it to a hurting, broken world because the kingdom's the answer to everything. It's the answer to unemployment. It's the answer to broken marriages. It's the answer to sickness. It's the answer to, to everything. God, you've given it to us. So Lord, let us... Take up that mantle, that assignment, and let us run with a greater passion than we ever have before. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.